All right. We ready there, Mr. Rico? Okay. Well, this past Monday evening, uh, I started the second semester for the year two class that I do, focusing on the character and message delivery model of the New Testament prophet. The power of sound and the use of our words, which is a very, very interesting subject matter. We talk about ministry time training and inner healing principles. And a lot of what we've been exploring is very cutting edge within the framework of application and practice, dealing with spiritual power through the proper use and attitude of the gifts of the spirit and our role in ministering to our own brokenness. And you like to be able to minister to your own brokenness? We have the tools. We have the tools. That's why we offer these classes. That's why we are instituting adult Bible study, is to equip you with the tools of a faithful workman. Okay? Ministering our own brokenness as well as to those who God sends our way. At the start of every class, I provide an 8 to 10 minute worship video to disconnect us from the busyness of the day and to set a theme for thought for the evening. This past week, the song in the video focused on pretty much what Eric was talking about, the sin-covering blood of Jesus, the loving accessibility of the Father's open arms toward us, and the power of the resurrection all fundamentals of the faith. My admonition to the class was that we not lose sight of the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we explore the mysteries of the kingdom. You know, sometimes you can become so heavenly-minded, you become no earthly good. Right? Right? Yeah. Come on. Let me try to get right? All right. It never happens around here, though. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation and fundamental to all that we present. When I speak of fundamentals, I am, of course, referring to our fundamental beliefs or as some might refer to it, our belief system. For us as a Christian community, we hold to a Christian belief system based on, number one, the teachings of Jesus Christ as found in the Gospels. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the people of all nations and make them disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything I have told you. Baseline. Baseline. I will be with you always, even until the end of the world, which could be next week. Number two, the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament, Second Peter 3, 1 and 2. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up 
your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, through the apostles, the writings of the New Testament are fundamental to our belief system. Number three, the teachings of the law and the prophets as found in the Old Testament as well as the historical data found throughout the Bible as a whole. Second Timothy 3, 16, 17, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Everyone say, the word of God is profitable. Okay. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God and the woman of God may be perfected, thoroughly furnished to every good work, tools of the trade. As disciples and lifelong learners, we may also look to the thoughts and writings of various Christian sages of the past, as well as many modern-day authors and teachers. And one that I want to highly recommend at this point in time is N.T. Wright, Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright. And if you want to get a taste of his teaching, just um, go on YouTube, type in N.T. Wright, and watch any of his little videos, anywhere from five minutes to an hour and 30 minutes, and the teaching is extraordinary. His books are phenomenal. It'll really be a help to your understanding of what you're reading in the scriptures. We also have at our disposal a wide variety of Bible study tools and helps such as concordances, commentaries, and expository dictionaries of the Bible. But primarily, we are a spiritual community. And so we must also, we must also use the knowledge, the wisdom, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. This is primary to our ability to bring forth the truth. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you, if you really want to understand the word of God as you read it, before you open the book, open your heart to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Invite him. Say these simple words. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Enlighten my mind. Open my heart to understand. And he is always faithful to extol, to magnify, and to present Jesus Christ and to glorify his presence. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Isn't that good? All of this in varying degrees, forms, and dictates uh, our fundamental belief system. Now, you would think that you would want our fundamental beliefs to be rock-solid, firmly set, and immovable, standing like rigid pillars supporting the very structure of our lives, right? So the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> uh, but you've been with me too long. <laughs> well, today I'd like to challenge that premise on one point and say to you that our fundamental beliefs must be flexible 
rather than rigid. And that nothing is really settled until everything is finally settled on the day of Christ Jesus. If we are to remain open to the leading of the Lord and be used by him to our greatest capacity, we should strive to firmly root our own lives. Now catch that. Strive to firmly root our own lives, right? Minister to our own brokenness first. Upon the solid rock that is Jesus Christ, while at the same time, in relationship to others, we must maintain the flexibility and dexterity of grace. in order to deal with the speck we so readily notice residing in another's eye while walking around with a telephone pole hanging out of our own. To be overly rigid is to invite collapse. I want to give you a couple of examples. This is a picture I took in uh, the city of Jaresh, one of the Roman Decapolis cities now located in uh, the nation of Jordan. Uh, these pillars are 46 feet tall. They are all that remains of a particular um, temple that was there. And the area has been devastated throughout the last 2,000 years with several major earthquakes. Uh, these were found standing originally with just the caps sticking out of the ground. There was 40 feet of soil that they were buried in, but as they dug, they found uh, them freestanding. So our guide, the first time we went there, um, showed us something about these poles. Could you go back to that one we were looking up? If you look up at them uh, on site, you get the sense of this movement going on. That's because there's movement going on. And what he did is he took the bottom where the pillars connect to the base and he put a pebble there and he put a key over the pebble and stuck it under the pillar. So the key is sitting on, on a, a little stone under the base and all of a sudden the key goes down and then it comes up. It goes down. And then it comes up. And he says, that is the sway of the pillars. He says, now, I bet you're wondering why they don't fall over. Because the Romans utilized the first um, building system that was earthquake-proof. So the pillars are built in segments. You can see the lines where the segments are joined together. Uh, they can be four-foot segments. They can be six-foot, eight-foot segments of pillar connected to another one built up. But if you were to slide one of those off, you'd see in the middle a square hole right in the middle of that circle. It goes down about six inches on both sides. And what they do is they put a bar of lead in the bottom one and drop the next segment onto that bar of lead. Why? Because lead is flexible. So as that pillar moves, the lead bends and holds, bends and holds to enough of a degree that it can withstand an earthquake. Okay. If they were rigid, if they had put a steel bar in there, the steel bar would have bent, snapped, 
and the pillar would have fallen. If they just put cement in between, the cement would have cracked and all the pillars would have fallen over. But the flexibility keeps the rigidity of the pillar to such a state that it can move with the flow of the wind, the movement of the earth. We need to be that way. When the wind of the spirit moves, we need to be flexible enough to bend with the spirit. We don't want to be rigid. Yeah, what are those things that look like wheat? Tears, right? Tears don't bend because they're rigid. The wheat bends with the wind. Okay? And we certainly don't want to be moved by the movements of the world around us. We want to be flexible enough to maintain who we are in our presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ within a world that is often in chaos, like since the inauguration. <laughs> right? This is a good week to have this example. Hasn't it been chaos out there? Wow. How many of you have gotten caught up in it? Be honest now. Keep bending, baby. Keep bending. I began considering these things after I had a conversation with an acquaintance of mine whose life was under a lot of stress. At the end of the conversation, I assured him I would hold him up in prayer, which I did. And as I did, the Lord just began to talk to me about a kingdom process he was taking this individual through, which he referred to as a fundamental adjustment of his fundamentals. Don't you love when God does that with you? <laughs> Thank you, Pat. <laughs> a process which, by the way, is inherent to the kingdom of God. In other words, when the kingdom of God breaks in on your life, your fundamental belief system is going to be impacted because when we are touched by heaven, we are changed. Note that I said we are changed. It is not that God, his word, or those fundamentals of faith that we believe in are going to change, but rather that he is going to change the way we apprehend them, the way we process them, and the way that we apply them to our lives in the world around us. So we find the Lord in teaching dialogues like this in Matthew 5.21. You have heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, here comes a kingdom adjustment, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be liable of the judgment. Or in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ouch. Gee, that's, that's rough for the guys, ain't it? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Mercy's good. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, squeeze it out. <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> Matthew 5:38, you have said that you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you do not resist evil. That's a tough one. How do you put that into play? 
do not resist evil. But whoever shall strike you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If you want an example, look to what's going on in northern Iraq. Look what's going on with the Christians in Syria. Those who are being martyred for the cause of Christ. It, it amazes me when I see pictures of 20 or 30 men on their knees lined up with these terrorists, a hand on their head and a knife to their throat. And they're in total passivity. Do not resist evil. I'm thinking, I'd take them out at the kneecaps. I, you know, I would do something. But the Lord says differently, doesn't he? Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute me. I think I'd rather be with the ISIS guys about now. This is tough stuff, right? How many of you can do that spontaneously? Boom. Oh, no. Really tough, really tough. I mean, you can work it out, right, after you get over it. See? Right? So we've westernized it, we've modernized it, we've put it into our own context. This is what I'm talking about. These are what we do with fundamentals. We put them in our own context. Once I get over this, I'll deal with it. So that you may become sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. What if he waited till he got over it? It would be cold and dry and probably pretty barren. All that Jesus is addressing here is part of the fundamental belief system of the Jewish community. They know this stuff. From early childhood, they are brought up to know and memorize the scriptures as well as their history as the people of God. These fundamentals are ingrained into the very fabric of their daily living, and yet, when Jesus comes along and addresses that which they already know, we hear responses like this, and they were astonished at his teaching. So what exactly was he teaching them? Luke 4.16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read in the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling the book, and you've got to understand it's a scroll. It's not a book as you understand a book. Right? It's a scroll. He found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because of this, he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim deliverance to the captives and new sight to the blind, to set at liberty those having been crushed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And rolling up the book, returning it to the attendant, he sat down 
and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he didn't tell them anything they hadn't heard every year on this day because that's the way they do the scriptures. Particular week is a particular reading. It was his turn to read, and that's what he was given to read. For a chance? I doubt it. So why are all the eyes on him? Because he sat down. And he sat down in a very particular place. He sat down in the seat of Elijah. You see, every synagogue had an empty seat. So when the messenger came, when the Messiah came, there'd be a seat prepared for him. And when Jesus read the scripture, he sat in the seat. And it spoke volumes to them. (laughs) What is he doing? He taught them that which they already knew, but he taught it in the fullness of its original intent. Luke 4.21, he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He sat in the seat and he said, I am it. Do you know what their response was? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why was this necessary? What had happened to all the teaching and training and cultural observation of these very fundamental truths that they have become something other than what God had originally intended? We find a clue in some of Jesus' dialogue with the scribes and the Pharisees, and I chose to read out of the Message Bible for this because I I just think it's much more impacting than King Jimmy. Luke 11:37 When he finished that talk a Pharisee asked him to dinner he entered his house and sat right down at the table the Pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up before the meal but the master said to him I know you Pharisees burnish the surface of your cups and plates so that they sparkle in the sun but I also know your insides are maggoty with greed and secret evil. (laughs) I love this guy. (laughs) Love this Stupid Pharisees. (laughs) Oh, gentle Jesus. (laughs) Come on now. Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to the poor. Then your lives will be clean not just your dishes and your hands. I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous account of books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but manage to find loopholes for getting around basic matters of justice and God's love. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. You're hopeless, you Pharisee frauds. You love sitting at the head table at church dinners, love preening yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. Frauds, you're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice grassy surface, never suspecting the rot and corruption that is six feet under. (laughs) 
I'll be selling message Bibles after this sermon. <laughs> you like a good read? <laughs> One of the religion scholars spoke up, teacher, do you realize that in saying these things you're insulting us? Well, duh. Right? <laughs> he said, yes. And I can be even more explicit. You're hopeless, you religion scholars. You load people down with rules and regulations, nearly breaking their backs, but never lift even a finger to help. You're hopeless. You build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed. The tombs you build are monuments to your own to your murdering ancestors more than to the murdered prophets. That accounts for God's wisdom saying, I will send them prophets and apostles, but they'll kill them and run them off. What it means is that every drop of righteous blood ever spilled from the time earth began until now, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was struck down between the altar and the sanctuary, is on your heads. Yes, it's on the bill of this generation, and this generation will pay. You're hopeless, you religion scholars. You took the key of knowledge, but instead of unlocking doors, you locked them. You won't go in yourself, and you won't let anyone else either. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Rather than conforming their lives to fit into the intended purposes of God found in the fundamentals of their faith, they instead conform their fundamental beliefs to fit their lifestyle. And in so doing, they became exclusive and dominating. And if you don't think it happens in the spirit-filled church, just remember the shepherding movement. Hmm. It can and does also happen to us at an individual level. And it's not just that we want things to fit into our lives in the most comfortable way possible for us. For us. Who's the most important person in your life? Every moment of every day. If you're really honest, me. Right? If there's ever been a me generation, ta-da! We also have a propensity to want God's word to conform to our societal norms. I love this, this story in Acts chapter 10. It's pretty much the whole chapter. A certain man named Cornelius was in Caesarea, a centurion of the Italian cohort. In other words, he was a Roman soldier, but he had authority over, I think, a thousand men. He was devout and fearing God with all his household, both doing many merciful deeds to the people and praying continually to God. So he was living in Israel. That was his assignment. He had authority over about a thousand men. He probably ministered directly or served directly to Pontius Pilate or whatever uh, officials came in. That's, that's what these guys did. Uh, but he had picked up something from the Jews. 
that this one God could be personal. This one God was reaching beyond the parameters of Judaism and had grabbed a hold of his mind and his heart at some level. And he was praying continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw plainly in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius, and he was gazing at him and becoming terrified. He said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your merciful deeds have come up for a memorial before God. I want to say to all you folks who were recognized last week for the things that you do, God knows. God knows. Your names come up before him like a memorial. And now send men to Joppa, which today is Tel Aviv, and call for Simon, whose last name is Peter. He is staying with one Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He will tell you what you must do. Now, I just want to give you this little tidbit. Notice that the angel is not preaching the gospel to Cornelius. That's ours to do. I bet that angel would have loved to have told him about Jesus. Let me tell you about my king. That belongs to us. What angels cannot do, you have the privilege and the calling to do. Wow. When the angel who spoke to Cornelius departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from who from those who waited on him continually, and explaining all things to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as these went on the road and drawing near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, so that would be our noontime, and he became very hungry and desired to eat. But while they made ready, an ecstasy fell on him. I want one of those. <laughs> I want an ecstasy, right? And he saw the heaven opened and a certain vessel like a sheet coming down to him, being bound at the four corners and let down to the earth, in which were all four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and reptiles and the birds of the heaven. And a voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So here is something very fundamental to Jewish life, custom, and religious practice. Kosher dietary law. Even today, I can remember being at uh, my friend Mikhail's house uh, on the backside of the Mount of Olives, and um, we were just hanging out, and he says, oh, you want a sandwich or something? And he said, what's in the, I said, what's in the fridge? He says, well, there's... There's some cold cuts and there's some bread there. And I said, well, you got any cheese? Now, his wife is Jewish. I mean, she was born in Israel, raised in Israel. And she went into meltdown. Cheese. You don't put cheese in with your meat. I said, yes, I do. I do it all the time. A little cheese, some mustard, you know, one mayo and the other. <laughs> and she's, she's a born-again Christian. But that's how powerful these customs are. 
that in her house I couldn't put cheese in with the meat. Now, this is what that's based on. You shall not boil a kid, that is a baby goat, in its mother's milk. Now, what's that got to do with my bologna and cheese? I have no idea. But they have manipulated that into that type of bondage. Okay? So this is where Peter is at. And the voice spoke to him again uh, the second time, what God has made clean you do not call common. There's the fundamental adjustment. What God has made clean you do not call common. This happened three times and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So God is saying, hey, Peter, you want bacon with those eggs? Right? We're going to see that it really has nothing to do with food at all. While Peter doubted within himself, what's he wrestling with? His own fundamental beliefs. While Peter wrestled within himself what the vision which he had seen might be, even behold the men who were sent from Cornelius had asked for Simon's house and stood on the porch. And they called and asked if Simon, whose last name is whose last name is Peter, was staying there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Therefore, arise, go down, and go with them. Arise, kill, and eat. Arise, go down, go with them. You have to put this in context. Without doubting, for I have sent them. And going down to the man... Those sent to him from Cornelius, Peter said, Behold, I am the one you are seeking. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one who fears God, and one of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear words from you. Then he called Then he called them in and lodged them, and on the next day Peter went away with them, and certain brothers from Joppa went with him. And the next day they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped. You must have loved that, right? But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I also am a man myself. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, now listen to this, you know that it is unlawful, an unlawful thing for a man, a Jew, to keep company with or to come near to one of another nation. But God has shown me not to call any man common or unclean. You see, it's not about food. It's about people. People. God not only changed Peter's menu, he changed Peter's heart. Because what happened over time and through experience to the Jews had caused them to begin to apply to the people of other nations what God had told them to apply to certain animals. The Samaritans were considered dogs to the Jews unclean animal. 
the Romans no more than swine, unclean animals. And it still happens today. I can remember hiking up in uh, En Gedi a number of years ago, and uh, I was coming down this pathway from, the, from David Springs at the top of En Gedi, and there were a whole line of Orthodox Jews hiking up to the spring. And I'd say, hey, how you doing? Like you do on a hiking trail, you know? And as they come up beside me, they spit on the ground. And I didn't catch it the first couple of times, but by the time I passed like the eighth guy who spit on the ground, <laughs> I realized they just think I'm a dog. By God's grace, I'm not unclean. Mm -mm. I am washed by the blood of Jesus, and I stand righteous before God, and he calls me clean. Therefore, as Peter goes on, I came without complaint being sent for. I ask, then for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago. I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard. Your merciful deeds have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and call here Simon, whose last name is Peter. He is staying at the house of Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he comes shall speak to you. Therefore, I immediately sent to you and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I see that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Peter's fundamentals have been adjusted. You know the word which God sent to the sons of Israel, preaching the gospel of peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Say that to a centurion who has taken an oath, who has burned incense to say that Caesar is God of all. You know that Christ is Lord of all. That word which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of, of these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him and hanged him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses handpicked before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets give witness to him, that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were hearing the word. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And those of the circumcision who believed, as many as came with Peter, were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the nations also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these who have received the Holy Ghost, as well as we, should not, as he commanded them, be baptized in the name of the Lord? And they begged him to stay certain days. Do you remember how simple the gospel was when you first got saved? Just astounding. Just a simple message. Jesus forgave me my sin. I am free of my sin. It's all I knew. It's all I knew. Just with that simple gospel message, I saw people healed raised up, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The only thing I could tell him is Jesus saved me from my sin. It's the only message I had. A little New Testament in my back pocket. I thought I'd conquer the world. Hmm? Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> wow. And it was easy to love him. It was easy to fellowship and feel connected and to get into the Bible. Then life begins to happen around us and to us, and we discover we have not found Shangri-La, but a kingdom made up of real people dealing with real issues and sometimes caught up in real life and death struggles, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes we get hurts, and sometimes we hurt others, and we keep trying to adjust our fundamentals to fit into our circumstances just enough so that we can keep going, keep believing, keep hoping that this thing called Christianity is real and our fundamentals change and become our defenses. You remember what Peter said in Acts 10.28? He said to them, You know that it is unlawful thing for a man, a Jew, to keep company with or to come near to one of another nation. But God never said that. It's not in the Bible. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. He said, ask of me and I will give you the nations. He said, welcome the stranger in. So what had happened to Peter? What has happened to the church? What has happened to me? What has happened to any of us? Micah 6, 8, the simplicity of this is so wonderful. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. How often do we replace what God said with what we do or how we feel and lose sight of the most important fundamental of all, 
or just plain replace the most fundamental of all fundamentals with other things both good and bad. Revelation 2, again, I had the message. Write this to Ephesus, to the angel of the church, the one with seven stars in his right fist grip, striding through the golden seven lights, circles, speaks, I see what you've done, your hard work, your hard, hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, let you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, that you never wear out. What a commendation. But, <laughs> what a massive word. But, you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. A Lucifer fall. Turn back. Recover your dear early love. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. The words of Jesus, when he, the comforter, shall come. We invite you to come as the comforter. Rectify our fundamentals.